nice things. Hello, good evening and welcome to another thrill-packed, fun-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. Very, very succulent, dear. Very, yeah. The antidote (laughs) to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... I bring Sutek's gift of death to all humans, Mike. (laughs) Although we we are recording this on the Lord's Day, so we'll just go with Pope Pope Paul the Fourteenth. Pope Paul the Fourteenth. Sure, didn't our Lord Himself pass (laughs) on the cross to record a podcast? (laughs) I'm sure he did. Um, did. Well, it's it seems like autumn is here at the very least. It does. It it's bright outside though. It is bright outside, but I think in one week we've got the clocks going forward or back. What do they do? Hang on a moment. I think they go. They go for yeah. They go forward. Forward. Right. So we get later nights, but it's also darker early in the morning. Right. Okay then. So it. So, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know what's happened to me since uh, since this I broke this collarbone, but I've started falling asleep early and getting up early, which. Which is not natural for me. I don't mind it, but it's been it odd waking up in the dark. But it is natural, actually, isn't it? You've reverted there. You've gone back to our old hunter-gatherer thing. If you get up with the sun, you go to sleep with the sun. Yes, I suppose that's right. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a theory, right. isn't there, that humans naturally uh, sleep in segments. We have a thing called segmented sleep, whereby mm. they reckon that um, when we came home from ploughing the fields and, mm. and scattering and gathering and all the other stuff that we used to do, we'd literally be that fucked. We'd just fall through the door of the hovel and go to sleep, and then around about midnight we'd wake up and then you and your neighbours would all meet up and have a feast. That's one of the theories. Well, now here's the thing, of course. What I generally do is I get in, pass out within about an hour. (laughs) But then, as you know, I normally wake up at about three o'clock in the morning and just sort of like, oh, let's have fun. You are are on surf time. Surf's up, Uh, as the Beach Boys uh, sang. Okay, well, okay, first of all, Beach Boys, common. Common. Second of all... I don't want to be a surf. I don't think that ah, suits me. Well, I'm sure that the Lord uh, of the Manor probably uh, he just passed out, pissed, didn't he, about four in the afternoon? I would imagine so. Yeah, but, as typified uh, by Christopher Benjamin's. What's the character he has in Dick Turpin? Lord Timothy Glutton, isn't it, or something like that? It's do you know I've character. never watched Dick Turpin? Oh, that's a, that's criminal. You well, must. Yes. It's Sunday. You need it. It's a Richard Carpenter. Richard Carpenter wrote it, right? So there's okay. there's quality. And yes. uh, Dennis King wrote the theme tune. So Ooh. you know that's that's precisely what you need. Uh, he okay. of the King Singers. Um, so how many episodes um, are we talking here? Because obviously the Box of Delights rewatch starts uh, in two weeks, doesn't it? Two weeks are we that two near? Weeks to go. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. So with Dick Turpin, you've got three series, I think. Can't remember the exact things. But then the last one, because you know what happened? They were always trying to court that lucrative American market. Oh, yeah. So the last one they made, I think it's like a TV movie called Dick Turpin's Greatest Adventure. Um, right. And that they've, it's it only exists in like smeary quality copies, you know? Ooh, right. yeah, it's very it's common, okay. dear. Very NTSC. Very common. Never Although- twice the same colour. Although, I had a strange one yesterday, and I, I mean, this is worth nothing to anybody else, but I'm doing a lovely rewatch of Dr. Finley's casebook, you know, ah. just uh, lovely episodes, nothing happens, and the episode no. finishes. Lovely. Um, and what they used to do with that a bit, uh, from what I can gather is, they would alternate where they were recording it. So, they'd record some up at BBC Scotland in Glasgow, and they'd record some down at TV Centre. 
And I think it was to do with when they were on location filming. I think right. it may have had something to do with that. But then there was an episode I was watching. It's got Mark McManus, quite an early role for him, right. 1970. Lovely episode, but it's all on film. And it's all shot differently. And that's that's confused me. Because even the bits that are on the actual studio sets that are normally in TC3, mm. they've shot them on film. And so my first thought was, is this uh, the spearhead from space uh, strike? Right. Because that was a cameraman strike. Yeah. So I sort of spent some time looking that up. And no, it wasn't that. It's just a very strange little curate egg of an episode. But uh, that was of use to nobody at all. But you No, know, no. So I have two thoughts with uh, Dr. Yeah. Findlay's case. But is it Andrew Kerr? No. Andrew Crookshank. Crookshank, that's it. And yeah, yeah. Bill Kerr. Uh, not Bill Kerr. Oh, God. What's his name? I don't know. Bill Fraser. I don't know. I've never seen it. And the other thought that I have, I know, there you go. You watch you watch Dick Turpin, I'll watch Dr. Finlay. Okay. Um, the, the, the other one is Kenneth Williams does an impression of the housekeeper in Carry On Henry, doesn't he? Dr. Finlay, Dr. Oh, Finlay, come quickly. Janet. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So he, he, he does that. I don't really know much about it. When you mention Mark McManus, I just think about Sam. Which, uh, if you've not seen Sam, it's a fantastic series. Sam is wonderful. Sam's yeah. wonderful. Oh, that's, yeah, the, the housekeeper's a particularly good character in Dr. Finley, but she's got this fascinating um, actual life as well. Her This Is Your Life um, is doing the rounds on YouTube at the moment. Oh, yeah. And she uh, she was born in, in Scotland, and then her father emigrated to New York. And then mum and kids followed on to meet him there, but they couldn't find him. He just buggered off. He vanished. So... Um, Young young housekeeper lady, whose name I can't quite remember now, I may need to Google that, um, is there basically committing crimes in New York as an eight-year-old to avoid the police. Wow. It's just, and this is in the 1930s that she's sort of doing all this, late 20s, early 30s, gangster time. Um, and then eventually gets spotted by someone, gets asked if she has any connection to the theatre and her grandmother had done. So she's then trained in New York and then flies back and becomes the housekeeper in Dr. Finley's casebook. It's just this... Bizarre. Fascinating life that yeah. she had. Absolutely remarkable, really. Well, but, I actually... Uh, speaking of fascinating lives, I actually saw uh, a documentary last night on, on Amazon Prime, believe mm -hmm. it or not. So, right. you know what Prime or Netflix or any of them are like? They're like bloody fridge door moments, aren't they? You just sat looking at all... You know, shit, 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 you know... <laughs> Yep. So to find something about Margaret Rutherford, who, to be quite honest with you, is kind of not a particular favourite. I don't know what it is with her. There's something, even though she's very sort of uh, portrays upper class, upper middle class people, there's something seemingly cheap about her as a performer. She looks like she'd do any of rubbish, doesn't she? I don't I don't know what it is about her, but well, her are, there any, are there any roles you can think of where you go, oh, or does she just give up that vibe? Right, so the um, the the medium Noel Coward wrote the character of the medium, isn't it, Doctor Atticus or something? I don't know what she's called, Lady Atticus or something like that. He wrote that for her in Blythe Spirit. He wrote that for her. It's an interesting right. life story though, because she's related to Tony Benzel. So this, so so the the reason I kept watching the documentary is first of all, Damaris Heyman is like in it, right, oh. and then Tony Ben turned up in it. And right. it was like, all right, this is interesting. So Tony Ben found out um, that he was related to, and it turns out that her dad 
um, killed her grandfather and went to a lunatic asylum. And he changed the family name from Ben to Rutherford so that, you know, they wouldn't be sort of uh, tarred with it. Then oh when he got out, her mother, her and her brother and her dad all moved to India to try and escape all this shit. Then they come back. Then her mum committed suicide. I <laughs> know, oh, yeah. And then... God. Um, they told her that her dad was dead, but he wasn't. So she she was sent to live with an auntie who yeah. she grew up with. Then she was kind of like, she was cycling around Wimbledon as a piano teacher as a young woman. Well, in her 30s. And then her auntie died and left her a bunch of money uh, when she was about in her 40s. So then she went and did a year training at the Old Vic in London. And like within a year, Gil, uh, no, Robert Morley had spotted her. And, and then she was in, uh, you know... Um, the importance of being earnest, she, you know, a blind spirit, all these things. So it's an interesting life, life story and all that. But because she never had children, she had what was called a lavender marriage um, with another actor. I can't think of his name now off the top of my head. Um, so she never had kids, but uh, Damaris Heyman was one of these. She sort of had a... She took a lot of actresses under her wing, and she used yeah. to refer to her as her eldest daughter. But what, what was interesting about Damaris Heyman is... So it was made in 2012, so when she answered the... The phone went during this interview, and they left it in when she picked it up, and she just gave out her phone number. So if you'd have watched that back in 2012, you could have been, like, you know, giving Damaris Heyman dirty phone calls for <laughs> the last eight years of her life or whatever. But what also struck me about her is she sort of sat there in a typical... It looks like... Um, what's what's the name? The White Witch. Come on, you know the demons. What's her character oh, called? Oh, Miss Hawthorne. Miss Hawthorne. It looked, she looked like Miss Hawthorne, obviously, but yes. dressed like her. Her house looked like Miss Hawthorne's house. Yes. Next to her, she had, like, loads of knitting gear. And then on a tray, she had, like, tr uh, flasks of coffee and whatnot. So, obviously, she had that maybe prepared for her. She's probably getting on a bit then. Mm. But right next to her was the Mayfair Bloom fags. So, she's <laughs> obviously still, you know, oh. chaining these things away. Like, Yeah. But it was an interesting life story. Certainly, you know... Is it worth a watch? Probably not. But I mean, it's a sort of it's worth it for Damaris Heyman. Uh, Anything is worth it for Damaris Heyman. No, um, sure. Yeah, it was very interesting. And then, like some opera singer who was the housekeeper when she died, yeah. she she was going to marry the husband who died because he was just complete. He was lost without Rutherford, right? And yeah. it turned out that what she did was she staged a burglary because he croaked before they could get married. So she was living in the house, so she staged a burglary so that the Oscar could get nicked and all this other stuff. And she's like, oh, look what the burglars unearthed when they were rummaging through the drawers. Here's a new will with everything left to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the housekeeper never got away with it, but the Oscar has never been found. Oh, Right, out there somewhere, maybe. Out there somewhere, maybe in your local Oxfam. So do you think, do you think that that has some, it, there's some connection there between that busy, unusual life and the fact that, well, as you said about her as an actress, she's very broad, too broad, perhaps. Mm. I wonder if there's anything... I don't know there. what it is, and I would apply it to Robert Morley as well, interestingly enough. There's this sort of uh, ang anglo americaniness about it, because, you know, it's sort of like, Obviously, because Christie didn't approve of her being cast as Marple, who's meant to be very willowy and, and very right. sort of gung-ho, isn't she? She's meant to be quite athletic, Marple. Yeah. Um, and, um, though, though they did meet and she dedicated one of her books to Margaret Rutherford in admiration, yeah. uh, which is a little backhanded. Um, but um, 
there's the so it kind of her Miss Marple has begat things like that horrible Angela Lansbury thing that goes on forever. Is it still going on? The one my mate used to call bollocks. She said, um, <laughs> "Murder, Murder she, she wrote." wrote. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I don't think that's still on because Angela Lansbury. I think she turned ninety six the day before yesterday. So yeah, I don't think that's still, she's still going. But there's enough on. of them to still just repeat. Oh, it. you would be horrified. I mean, how many well, series? One hundred and twenty nine. Something like that. Dreadful. No. But there is that thing, isn't there, about British actors? I think that he's another one, Wilfred Hyde White. There's certain English actors who the Americans think typifies Englishness, Mm. and they they then end up in Hollywood, and it's not the same, is it? I think that what you've got, though, is you've got these these people. I mean, you've got to define actor and performer. True. And I think that these are people who, if you'd have put them on the stage in a theatre, a crowded theatre... Then those st- that style of performance would have been absolutely spot on because Rutherford, yeah. you know, she does, she she performs, you yeah. know, she constantly performs rather than acts, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. So, but then you—that's where maybe some stereotypes have come from. The idea of you know the the, the English performer bellowing with yeah. the arms out, maybe that's partly from there. Possibly. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting though the fact that you do get these people, and some are performers and some are actors mm. from around that period. Um, and the older ones, I think, naturally because they've been brought up in in theatre, they are yeah. going to naturally be towards performance. Is she in the Saint Trinian's film? Yes, I'm trying to think she is. now. Yes, I thought she was. All oh, right, well, she's good in that, but she is brilliant in in her own way. I think that it's just that stuff gets diluted, doesn't it? You know what I mean. Mm. Um, by the roles that they're given, and and she, you know, she earned a lot of money. She's a very wealthy um, oh, yeah. person, but it's sort of it's just interesting. It's just interesting actually to find something on Prime worth watching. Well, yes, I mean, if once you've got past the Squid Games, oh, dreadful. We won't talk about. Is that what it's that? on? It's, it's on one of them. I don't know. I've, well, because I don't know because I've been having a battle, having a battle this week this after week. embracing, embracing technology. technology. Um, because of course I am a man who is much more, as you know, Mike, much more at home with the old VHS oh, tapes. Oh yes, it. Ah, yeah. Nova Supreme, a Nova Supreme. special. Oh, the other types of ones people give you finest. dirty films on. Yes, sadly. Well, sort of it's stuff I wrote, but um, but yeah, I'm happier with those. I'm less happier. With digital things, so uh, ah, the old Seagate expansion drive. Except it's not expanding very much now. Here's the terrible thing: this is stopped working. I'm right. bereft here because I've got, I've got 440 gigabytes of the entire Take the High Road on there. That is that is quite distressing. It's um, very what distressing. you could do is break it apart and take the actual drive out, and then see if it works in an expansion bay. Would you like me to do that for you? Yes, please. I don't know what I need. I'll do that for you. Generally, what goes on them is the controllers. So the little bit between the cable and the drive, that little little circuit board, and they generally go. I've got a number of them things that have failed. I think it's that. I think it's that that's gone, yes, whatever that thing was. Don't worry, more ag will be waiting for you. Good, that's all right. So it's a very Scots-themed week you've had here with Dr. Finlay. Yeah, yeah, so far. um, Although, yeah, I think that's more by... Well, Dr. Finlay does this lovely thing. It's a bit like the Archers, but it lasts longer, of course. The Archers, you get 12 and a half minutes. So that's enough to not induce a coma. Mm. Which is sometimes what you need. Whereas you pop on a bit of the old Dr. Finley's case book. Aye. And 
Good God. I mean, unless I'm very awake and sitting upright, 30 minutes and I, I'm gone and I'm out for the count, but in a lovely way. And then what I do go back and rewatch right. it. Ah, because it's yeah. so. Oh, God, it's just good. It's so well done. Apart from that weird one with Mark McManus, it's so well done that it does induce this cosy sort of. Yeah, because you know the rhythm of the television of the time. I think. Right. I wonder so if, if you that see... was part of the intention to just chill people out to the point where they became sleepy. Well, it could well be. I mean, it's, you know, you get a director like Pennant Roberts and you know what you're going to get. You're going to get three cameras and then maybe a fourth camera special shot. <coughs> but you know the rhythm and you know right. the, the the story that they would tell with the old EMI 2001 cameras. You know that rhythm. Right. And I think it's just that. But the coziness <coughs> of the outside broadcast, there's a lot on OB film, um, on lovely scratch 16 mil. Yeah. And I'm currently watching the colour ones, which has taken me a little while to get used to. Wow. Final colour series. So but what was that, 1970 or something? 90s, end of 1970, just into right. 71, I think. But uh, no, there is an inherent coziness just in the rhythm. I think, and the pace. Yeah. Why does so much change around 70-71? You know, the Morris Minor, they cease production, they begin the marina, uh, decimalisation, uh, they stop making uh, Dr. Finlay, uh, yeah. colour television. So much about 1970 is like, is it must have felt a big thing. 1970 is here. It really must have done, yeah. yeah. Moon landings, of course. Did they yeah. trigger something? I think going off the back of that, it must have felt like you could do anything all of a sudden. It must have been a great time. I mean, you look at the music, you know, um, mm. from around about that time. I've been listening to a lot of Heartwind this week. I have periodic dips into the world of Heartwind because mm. Heartwind is one of them interesting bands. It's sort of, they start as one thing, then they go through so many transitional stages. You know, they've got all the collaborations with Robert Calvert and Michael Moorcock, the sci-fi writer, and, and, and all these things, and, and, and the steeped in mysticism there's a great song on Space Ritual, the live 1972 album, partially done in Liverpool and partially in London. And there's a song on that called Seven by Seven, which is about the seven rays, which is part of uh, Gnosticism and Mithraism and all about the seven different uh, components of, of light and, and how the the seven primords. Were, it's just, you know, this is a, sort of mythology, but that's the depth that those songs are about. You think it's all like just taking drugs in space. But Bob mm. Calvert, um, who did Captain Lockheed and the Starfighters, I don't know if you know that concept album, no, Viv no, Stanchel's on it, and lots of amazing people from the 70s. Um, and then he did another one about America, had it been discovered by the Vikings. It was like Leif Erikson and the something or others. But, but um, well, you know Michael Moorcock through J.G. Ballard and all, yes. <clears throat> all that. So, and Hartwin did the song High Rise, which is based on the ballad thing that became Paradise Tower. Was, yeah, high rise. Yeah, high rise. Thanks, yeah. Paul. Dickhead yeah. day for me. Um, but but what I like about that is the way that you know the sort of the Venn diagram was very blurred in the seventies between cultures. You know, you've got the examples of poets, authors, painters, um, and. You know, with Heartwind, it was the full package right in mid-70s. You know, they'd have Stacia dancing with nothing on. Uh, but they'd have um, Rini or whatever she was called. They'd have dance. So it was all dance. It was all art. It was all stagecraft. Very, very interesting. I'd have liked to have been alive for all of that, please. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? But you do, you're right. You get these big sort of cultural crossovers, don't you? Because whilst yeah. that's developing, you've also got the folk scene. Mm. is incredibly strong, which is what I've spent a lot of the last couple of days listening to, is uh, 
bit the Johnsons and that lovely album you gave me of you and McCall getting all ah, nationalistic. So you've had the um, old Fair Isle pullover out. I, I have, yeah. <gasps> it's been yeah. So um, and the Johnsons and their lovely nonsense about being on gypsy caravans. Now there's a group. There is a group who are fascinating. The Johnsons come out of nowhere in 1968 and appear on RTE, um, and then they end up on the BBC, and they've got this uh, six-part series, all shot on colour film, even though it was 1968, and lots and lots of really good albums. And then it's one of those situations where one band member drops out, and they get a replacement, and Mm. then another one goes, and there's another replacement. So there's fewer and fewer of them. So in the end, they disbanded, and one of the Johnson sisters went off to live in America, where there was some sort of a suspicious death. Nobody quite knows what happened, uh, but whatever happened, she ended up falling down a flight of stairs, but she didn't make it. But there's always been this... Pointed at me, then. Yeah, (laughs) But there's always been this uh, strange thing about, well, why? How did that come to happen? It's never been quite solved, but... uh, Right. You know, a lovely group. I've also just uh, ordered an album by uh, Pentangle. Oh, yeah. That should be here next week, so... yeah. I do yeah. like Pentangle. I do like... I've never heard of the Johnsons, I must admit. But I oh. love Pentangle. Have you heard the Incredible String Band? Oh. Oh, you must get the Hangman's Beautiful Daughter. Right. Um, especially a very cellular song, the 22-minute epic that ends the album. Winter was cold and the clothing was thin. It's brilliant. I'll send oh, you the link to a very cellular song. Oh, right, yeah, the Incredible String Band are one of the most pivotal folk uh, bands ever, really. Um, Yeah, The Hangman's Beautiful Daughter. You'll have that on vinyl by this time next week. I know you. Very well, yes. It's It's a great, great... They're an interesting set-up as well, uh, The Incredible String Band. They're completely imploded because of, like, hard drug use and stuff. But um, if you look them up, you'll see tons. Danny Thompson, lots and lots of names you'll know on there. Um, Right. And of course, there's a whole continuum, isn't there, with with um, that side of the music industry? Um, you know, incredible string band and Pentangle, um, and then like Nick Drake as well is is part of all of that, really. Um, yes. And then you've got the crossover with Space 1999 and Crossroads with Gabrielle Drake. Well, we can miss out the 1999 nonsense, can't we? Because that do looks you not American. like that? No, it looks American. I can't cope with that. I don't yeah. care where it was filmed. It's got it's got American leads and it looks American and he spent too much money on it. So no. It does look good though. The the sets do look good. And you must have wanted a little eagle tie when you were a kid. Well, I never saw this because it was ITV. So oh, of course you I didn't. don't think I've ever watched an episode. You'd have been watching Miss Marple films with Margaret Rutherford. I'd have been watching Miss Marple with Margaret Rutherford, waiting for Joan Hickson to come on and do it properly. Joan Hickson, yeah. Now, that's that's a lovely memory because uh, not particularly a pocket full of rye itself. I think we've discussed this before, haven't we? But that Christmas was a great Christmas for TV. It really was. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it was magnificent, that Christmas. That was Boxing Day, that pocket full of rye, wasn't it? Yeah. Now that's not the one. Oh no! It's, is it Murder in the Library? The one where, because of course they were all in two parts, and the cliffhanger is there's a woman leaning over a glass-fronted display case right. and looking at stuff, and so you can see the camera over her shoulder, and you can see the back of her head, but then you can see her face reflected as she's looking into this display case, and then all of a sudden someone push, pushes a stone bust 
of someone off the top of the staircase. And you just see it tumbling down wow. towards her in the reflection. And then just as it hits, you get the crash and the scream in blackout. It's just, oh, wow. That's magnificent. Yeah. They, they ran for a while, didn't they go, till she died? Pretty much, I think. Um, yeah, I've got the box set over there. I, I recovered from uh, Cat's Protection. Uh, somebody clearly wow. didn't value the wor- see the worth of it, so I got it from them for seven quid. And um, and how does it stand up? Are you happy with it? Perfect. Still brilliant. Perfect. <clears throat> it it's just it's brilliant stuff. Well, you know, one I mean, of um, sorry, come on. No, I I personally I, I don't I don't like that genre. Uh, the whole like no. a sort of thing. I'm not no. a fan of it at all. No me, no me. But Hickson just makes it worthwhile. Plus, you know that it when it was shot, you know you're talking early eighties to mid eighties. Yeah, you're going to get a lovely guest star every oh, episode. Yes, every time. I mean, so one thing that got stuff. me with that is she sort of she was known for just playing really like more or less Alzheimer's dotty old women. Mm. I mean, she plays that character in Carry On Girls, doesn't she? You know, yeah. she's the sort of the dowager, really, who stays at the hotel that mm. Sid runs. Well, no, John Sims runs it. Sid's, <coughs> Sid's just a freeloader in that. Um, and she's uh, that she's totally and utterly demented in Clockwise. She's brilliant in Clockwise. She ends up mm. in the back of the car, doesn't she? Because that's uh, it. Oh, she does, yeah. Someone driving around dementia patients or people from an old folks home, and she's going, over, "Well, I was." They said I was going to get those vases, of course, sissy, as soon as she died, and she's just off. She's just she she's just off in her own world, and then yeah. to sort of like in eighty five, eighty six, to to land a role like that, because just I, wonderful. Yeah, that late in her career, but for somebody to actually see past all those roles, because I'm sure that she's in like Queenie's Castle or something for one episode as a right. neighbour, still playing that, that exact type. Yeah. Um, the dotty old woman, but playing well beyond her years. So, yeah. of course, by the time she got to Marple, she was actually playing those years uh, yes. still, but in real life. <laughs> in real life. And all of a sudden, you saw her, uh, but turned on. And yeah. the sharpness of the actor, and that's that's an acting job. That's not a performance. She acts. Yeah. She acts. Well, I remember reading at the time some, you know, the producer or director or whoever it was was saying, you know, this would be um, this would be a casting choice for Marple that Christie would have approved of mm. because she was athletic. She was sort of like, but you know, she was slim and she was, you know, she wasn't plump and no why doughy. Um, yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was good watching. in that. She was. She was actually. She must have been eighty when she started it. Well, I think she was one of those who always looked old, looked so I don't old. think she was that old. I think she right. may have only been late 60s. Maybe. Yeah. She was still into her 70s when they would have been making it, I think. But I, pure guesswork. Those may days have been, are May have been gone. 47. Those days are gone of those wonderful things. I think that Christmas yeah. was, was it 85 or 86? Something tells me it was 86, but I hope it was 85. Should we have a little look? Let's have a little look. Let's yeah. have a little look. There we go. Uh, pocket full of rye. Can you remember what the uh, what the BBC Christmas logo was that year for the continuity? What would it have been? Because um, we'd gone into animated ones by that point. So oh, Pocketful of Rye was the fourth one they made in that. I thought that was the first one. All right, okay. When, when could we have seen the repeat then? Unless it was no, first No, Joe Nixon is the dude. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, hang on. Sorry, say that again, please, mate. Mike's just researching now, viewers. Um, yes. Uh, 
I can't remember the question. So, oh, um, it was eighty-five, right? So the reason I wanted it to be eighty-five was mm. because eighty-five was fools and arses. Um, the one where they go to Amsterdam, the diamond smuggling one, which the first feature. It's like a film, but it's Is it, it actually Jolly Boys Outing. No, that's 88, Jolly Boys right. out, out, out in. 85 is To Hull and Back. That's the one I'm right. on about. Okay. It's brilliant. There was a Dave Allen special that year as well. I think it was the second to the penultimate. Um, this is why the telly was so good that year. 85, mm. uh, so you had to choose on Christmas Day, I remember it very well, between watching Fools and Horses To Hull and Back, which is magnificent. It, it, the DVD's got cuts in it, sadly, because of music and that, but... but Brilliant it was, 90 minute first one. Uh, so you had to either choose to watch that or Mind on the Orient Express on ITV, which, I mean, that's not a bad choice, really. Even that's though, so weirdly enough, with Mind on the Orient Express, they ditched the usual theme tune and Dennis King, he of Dick Turpin, came in again and uh, and, and he rewrote it. Mm, the tune's not so good. It's not great why, anyway. Why? Why um, Was that kept or just used for that one episode? Just that one episode. Hmm. Again, I think that I think that they try and sell these things to America, don't they? You know what I mean? So they kind of they they give the Americans something that's quintessentially British. English. But so eighty five you had that. Yeah. Uh you had a pocket full Mm. of rye on the boxing day. You had a great film. Um and I think it's the first time I saw her on anything. Is it Janet McTeer or McAteer? I'm never quite certain about McTeer. that. McTeer. Um, in a in a play in a film called Precious Bane, which was a BBC sort of play thing. It's about a girl born um, in the 18th century, you know, with a her lip. Oh, this is ringing a bell. It's brilliant, and John Bowes in it as uh, the Weaver. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah, it's very, it's very spooky as well because it starts off with a dad dying and they right. need a sin eater because he's got not not the '80s pop sensation, but uh, they, they need a sin eater um, who's going to eat literally the, this ritual whereby they eat a lump of bread or something so he can go into the next world cleansed, absolved of sins. Right. Um, and I think Jumbo as the Weaver. Weaver, I think mm. he's the sin eater at the beginning. Anyway, it's a good film. What's it, what's it was, called? What's it called? Um, Precious Bane. I've got it right, if you well, want it. Well, yes, okay, yes. Well, yeah, it's never been released. That. That's that's something you see. I wouldn't have been able to watch that because, of course, uh, very very Christian household, and at the time uh, ah. there was an awful there was an awful lot of Satanism in the news of people in the Orkneys apparently conducting Satanism. That's right. Things. Um, so, um, so yes, I wouldn't have been allowed to. It's a bit, a bit too satanic that, by the side. Well, this is steeped in that sort of 18th century superstition. Um, you know, the old Matthew Hopkirk, the old. Um, is it is it a folk horror then? Would you say? Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose. Right, okay. I don't know. It's more implied. I've not watched it in a while. I don't think it's particularly though. She is accused of being a witch because of the lip, right? So it's right. kind of all that. And I think if I'm right in saying that. It, it's implied that she is a witch. I can't remember. I, it, it's. I must watch it again. It's brilliant anyway. Janet McTeer is brilliant in it. John Bowles are always brilliant in stuff. Always. My mum was disappointed. It's It's feeling like, oh, did I see something of it? Did I see a little bit of a repeat or something like that? Well, they it did a few feel, good ones, the her didn't lip. they? The her lip. So the BBC yeah. used to do those good, uh, sort of like Boxing day uh, or sort of maybe one of those tweeny days. They'd do some really good sort of... Dramatic. I wouldn't call them films. They're more like what Play for Today was, really, but a little extended, a bit longer. They did Silas Marner as well. Do you remember that one? 
No, they I did don't remember that, that one. Going they did a few good ones, like I think it's sort of, you know, was a continuation of the ghost stories for Christmas and stuff like that. It's, it's stuff that, you know. Once they got rid of the costume department, and once they got rid of Pebble Mill, and once they got rid of all these things, they just and everyone's taken their pensions and gone. It's it's not yeah. the same. It's sadly not the same. You know, no, it's not. It's not. But we I need can Pebble still. Back. That's we do. I can still get excited about that 1985 schedule on BBC. It was brilliant. Well, absolutely, because those things are perfect, and I don't yeah. think that's just because of your age at the time. I think it's because when you look at them. Well, I've, I've, there's, a, there's a Twitter feed that uh, publishes sort of TV Times listings um, and Radio Times listings, and he does it for um, each day of the week so you can see what would have been on, and he just picks a random year. And he did 1972 during the week. Yeah. And the schedule was lovely, and at one point I would have had to have chosen between a not only but also repeat Series 3, which doesn't exist anymore, of course, Um and what was going on, on on ITV? It was some sort of play. It was a Dennis Potter. That <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Was that a Thursday a play or something? Yeah. And it was like, oh, how would you make that? And that's just BBC. That's not taking into account BBC One, which had The Doctors, uh, a new soap opera that nobody remembers. No, no. I just when you talk about 1972 and telly, I immediately think of Steptoe and Divided We Stand, where they've got the telly split down the middle and he's wanting to watch the opera isn't he and then the next thing he clicks it over to a horror film and he's in the middle of watching this horror and this big blood curdling screen comes out and he's like and he's bashing on the partition I'm sure you know the episode Uh and uh, he's like I've got the what does he say I've got the law of property on my side or something like that to which he says well I've got the knobs on my side (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's one of those episodes that where they've got a real laugher in. There's this woman who laughs like fuck at it. There's one Mm. bit where he's walking past the old man when he hasn't glazed it, you know, with the hat. Mm. And you hear her go, and he's at. (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Oh, I love those. That's like when you watch Blackadder 2 and you get used to being able to hear Robbie Coltrane's laugh because yeah. it was just in the audience, this big laugh, <laughs> and that's Robbie Coltrane going for it. <laughs> love those moments when you get a proper laugher in the audience. Indeedy. So have we got any oh. uh, nice things this week? Have we got anything to report, dear? Well, nice things. Do you know what? It's been a very busy week for me. So um, It has. I, uh, I, I picked up the new... Doctor Who, mate. You oh, won't. no. Is no. that that bloody John Bishop? Hey, I'm judge yes. funny, me. It's John B- Well, do you know what? Ten quid for some what? reason. Oh, Ten yeah. pounds for Doctor Who magazine? Normally five ninety nine, but this is a special one-off. Is... They've charged a tenner. Is the wrap of cocaine on pe- <laughs> secreted between the pages? Well, it says it's got a 28-page supplement. Don't know. Don't care. A diorama and four art cards. Mm, diarrhea, more like. Tenor. So I'll, I'll leave Diorama goes back to issue one, doesn't it? it diorama does. with the transfers. They're still playing on that word. Wow, a tenor. A tenor. Now, that's normally five ninety nine, but just as a one-off for you, Governor, so you've got a, a cardboard thing that you won't want. It's a tenor. <laughs> I can't no. believe you're still buying them. I'm, I'm, oh, I haven't, I haven't bought one in donkey's years. Since they cast Tenant, I wrote a... <laughs> Stiff letter to the editor on cardboard. Yes. Um, no, don't like him. Right, so I've got some quite nice things this week. That's there. a good thing. Yeah. Um, so I bought myself one of these, the uh, the book of the Baker Street Boys, the series. Ooh, yes. Um, featuring TV's Ian Beale, if you remember, Adam Woodyatty was as his first gig, wasn't it? Oh God. 
Interestingly enough, because the Baker Street Boys, the reason it's so good is because Anthony Reid is the guy who did it, who was the script editor on the Douglas Wilmer series, which is why Baker Street Boys was a, a great uh, thing. Um, mm. He's a wonderful script editor all around. He did a series yeah, of Who, didn't he? That's and then, right. And then he went on to... Now, he may have been script editor, or he may have adapted Chucky and all the right. uh, the and the three series of it. So I think yeah. that was Anthony Reid. So, right. Oh, he wonderful. was... He, well, I think he's still going. He's still writing Baker Street Boys books, strangely mm. enough. But the original one, the book of the show, he must have been that busy, is written by Brian Ball, um, madly enough. But my me- it just shows you how the memory cheats uh, because Baker Street Boys, TV-wise, was 83. So it was the yeah. year before the Granada Holmes series. I always thought it was a cash-in on the Granada. I would have sworn it was, but it wasn't. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. The Curse of the Winged Scarab um, went out over Christmassy time. I, I, I mean, I'm probably wrong about that, but again, it's the memory with that. Um, mm. It was probably repeated over Christmas. Never been released on DVD, the series. No, which, which, no. Interesting. One um, I don't have. And it's BBC, isn't it? Yeah, I've got all of them if you want copies. Oh, I, do, like a look. I do have yeah. them. Um, but yeah, the BBC aren't doing much to cash in on the archive at the moment. Strange that one be. hasn't been released, the Baker Street Boys. But um, mm. strangely enough, it had Colin Jevons in it as Moriarty, um, oh. and who later went on to play Lestrade in uh, the Granada series. Mm. Colin um, Jevons is wonderful. Now he's also isn't he the commissioner in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the restaurant at the end of the universe? Not sure. I've never seen it. I think that's 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 him, and he's in. Oh, what have I got him in the? I am um, Bleak House, the nineteen fifty eight live twelve part version of Bleak House. That's an early role for Colin Jevons. Isn't there. he in the Invisible Enemy? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think he's in yeah, that so. as well, isn't he? With Prentice Hancock when they all get them big false eyelashes and and, and bushy I eyebrows. Michael Sheard when I think of that. Yeah, Being that's interesting wonderful. makeup, isn't it? It's not bad. The first mention of Doctor Who is it? Was oh no, it? you just thought about the magazine, weren't you? Oh well, you know we managed <clears> a good sort of what thirty minutes. That's all right. Absolutely, and I had to buy a bulk pack, which means four, three books I already had. In order right. to complete my Wham collection, so oh. here we are, Wham Annual 1969. I don't know if we can see that on screen. We can now. see that. That's um, magnificent. The only one with a, a non-white cover. It's uh, it's all blue. Strangely oh. enough, so 1966 to 68 are all, as you can see, they're all. Uh, oh yes. So it's all oh, yeah. very. Enoch Powell would be delighted. It's a very white. Um, uh, display as is 70 and 71 but 69 is uh, 69s are always blue though aren't they dear um so it's marvelous so is to that the full to... set i've got a full set mate i've got a full set of leo baxendale's magnificent wham comic the oh, well done. That's i'm wonderful. really pleased about that 10 pound 50 for the four which which is all right which is all that's right. not too bad because no. I, I was continuing i'm spending about 40 quid on that one because the that last one's always elusive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, my eBay search alert didn't pick up on it, so it was sort of, you know, sleuthing. Put put the old deer stalker on again, and I found him. So I'm really pleased to complete that because Leo Baxendale is a real hero. Um, Leo Baxendale, for anyone who doesn't know, um, is uh, the illustrator, the Beano illustrator who invented. I think Little Plum, Minnie the Minx, and the Bash Street Kids. Um, but uh, was offered this deal to draw his own comics. So Wham, Power, and Smash were his three comics. Uh, brilliant. And also trust, uh, tra- treated myself 
to um, n nothing really um, arcane about it, but I've always wanted to read The Man Who Would Be King. Oh, um, right. So uh, I've bought myself a copy of that, Mr. Kipling. Oh, lovely. You've been very lucky this week, haven't you? You've been, been well, incredibly lucky, dear. I, I thought I'd put some great store in it, um, mm. seeing as we have a week off. Well, we do, yes. We do, and I don't. Oh, I, I, I couldn't be doing with pictures of John Bishop in the house. No, no, that's fair enough. That's understandable. No. Well, no, what I've done. I mean, I have found a book that uh, I lost, um, and it was down the back of the uh, chest of drawers in the hallway. Oh uh, yeah, and it's got terribly damp. Um, but it's a Stanley Wells book. Do love a bit of Stanley Wells. Ah, uh, Shakespeare and Co. Now then, it's absolutely it's waterlogged, um, and I've only ever cherry picked through it. So my week is going to consist of demolishing Lovely. that I think seeing as I've left Jacqueline Hill in work so, oh dear uh, so long as somebody feeds I will be okay we'll be um, right but yeah I, I to work this week I want to work I want to get I want to redo the voice reel and, uh, uh, yeah. I spent all day yesterday going through my thankfully functioning uh, hard drives um <laughs> And uh, to find to dig out some old music that I've done, so I'm gonna hopefully have a very pleasant week, dear. Just oh, enjoying no, myself. Nice and yeah, that's good. So it's what, this time of be... year, isn't it? It is. It is the right time for, to be getting things ready, so they're all there for the darkness. When yes, that's yes, yes, yes. That's what I want to do this week, and I no, will I do it. Yes, prioritise that. I think. No, apart yeah. from that, well, I have been making a start. Oh yes, I've been making a start on recording some excerpts from the Spectator. Nice. This is nice. I, this is progress we approve of. Now, this is nice. And so I was looking at uh, today's entry with a view to recording it later. Um, and it's quite a long letter, uh, which comes from a lady um, <laughs> who's um, call, calling herself Jenny. That's all she's saying. Right. Now, Jenny has written to the spectator to, to basically say that she thinks that well, she's sort of asking for women to have some sort of equality. Right. Can you believe? And this is... In um, October um, 17, uh, 1747. So, oh no, you wow. can't have that, dear. So, Mr. Spectator has replied to her. And this is what Mr. Spectator says <laughs> Dear Jenny, I take your gallery in very good part and am obliged to leave you for the free air which you speak of in your own gaieties. But this is a barren, super, uh, superficial pleasure. Indeed, Jenny, we are you are made for man, and in serious sadness I must tell you, whether you yourself know it or not, all these gallantries tend to no other end but to be a wife and mother as you as you so should be. Yours. Oh sorry, <laughs> I am I am, madam, your most humble servant, Mr Spectator. Mr. Basically Spectator. saying Stop it at once, dear. No, yes, you can't. don't be silly. Yeah. So that was so I'll be reading that later. Um, you should set up a Twitter account, right, I think. Mm. Get it ready for January 1st and then, you know. Go from the that date. Yeah, the weekend, yeah, no, do about, so. get all the weeks done. Mm. And then I think you can schedule tweets, you know. Can you? I think you can schedule tweets so you could have them all lined up on a Monday. Um, yeah. Because there's that great account on Twitter, wasn't there? Probably still is. That was Doctor Who 1980 and then I think it became 1981, didn't it? Yeah, it's still going. Yeah, uh, it's currently detailing uh, Eric Saywood getting cross with someone on the subject of witchcraft. So through various right. memos that were sent, so it's still going. So I think something like that, but uh, that'd be great. Yeah, it, it is a week. You're right. It's a week for maybe doing things that you wouldn't normally get a chance to, yeah. you know, and sleeping. Um, yes. 
And then, yes, I think that'll probably, that'll do me just that. But mostly it's going to be a lot of reading and a lot of napping, which I've started yes. doing. Yes, yes, I've been napping lately. I yeah. don't I don't approve, really. I'm like, I'm usually sort of quite vital, dear. Yeah. Uh, but I've been sort of finding myself about four o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, I'm buggered. Yeah. I, need a, I need a literal sleep. <laughs> yeah, just an hour or so, is it? I think the cedar tree would have would have uh, fulfilled that function for the elderly, wouldn't it, in the 70s? Well, it absolutely would, yeah, where you've yeah. just got your 25 minutes of yeah, people being rather polite and then yes. Marvin, Martin Jarvis guesting for two episodes. And... Martin Jarvis, yes. yes. Martin Jarvis, who always comes with his wife, is it Rosalind Erz? That's uh, it, Rosalind Erz, yeah. yeah. Well, she's not in this cedar tree. It's rather lovely. He turns up playing um, a sort of a Bertie Matt, Worcester... Then. So he's a Bertie Worcester style character that he arrives yeah. playing, but everyone thinks so. Oh, he's basically a bit of a dick um, because he's driving cars too fast and he's getting drunk and he's cheating at tennis and being a you know a bit of a wrong gun. We don't like that. Right. So in the end, he's banished and told, "No, you must go," and then fade to black, fade up, and they receive a telegram say- saying that in fact he had a massive brain tumor and he's died. Um, and so you get a moment of, oh, maybe we shouldn't have judged him. Yeah. End of story. Lovely. Yes. Cucumber sandwiches tale. and croquet. Perfect. That's all and, you want. And that's it. Yeah. Yes, it's a lovely world, the old seed tree. I remember it very well. I remember mm. Victoria Wood doing a great bit on it years later. And I'm sure she says that nothing ever happened. And, and, and I, I must find that. Because you'll probably uh, understand it. It shows you how ubiquitous it was because people piss the pants yeah. when she's oh, on about it. It's 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 lovely. It's Downton Abbey without the money, which is good. Yeah. And in fact, it's just Downton Abbey, let's be honest. He stole it. I mean, what you've got here, what you've got here, Mike, is you've got an old chap living with his wife and their three daughters in the big house. Yeah. It's the whole. Is that what it is? is that that's what exactly is? that's the cedar tree, and that is Downton Abbey. So it's clearly just lifted, but with more money spent on it. But but then people die, and there's things in Downton Abbey from what I've seen, and I don't like right. that. It's strange that you recruit. You see, because I was never one for going into school, as I've, I've detailed probably before in the podcast. Mm. So I was never made to go into school, um, mm. as as Mama wasn't very well, so she she was in bed. My yeah. nan was asleep in the chair, so I never had to go into school. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you. Right, it's so strange because you were kind of maybe denied all this, but you, uh, you seem to have an affinity for everything I used to sit and watch when I was off school. The Sullivans, oh, yeah. the yeah. Cedar Tree, oh, you know, yes. all these Crown things. Court. The Crown Court, the, yeah, yeah, oh. all these things that were on when I wasn't in school. Yeah, you love the the kind of guilty pleasures, maybe for you, forbidden well, fruit. Maybe they are, but then again, there was another one of these, one of these uh, TV, uh, TV times, times from when they first started doing daytime television on on ITV, and you know, we're giving a schedule to the the unemployed, the elderly, and and ladies, and yeah. you've got this lovely schedule that's built up of just nice, you know, a light game show, a spot of General Hospital. Yeah. Sometimes a film, sometimes Mavis Nicholson interviewing Mavis someone. Looks Familiar was brilliant as wonderful well. Stuff, wonderful stuff. You know. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and I think I look at the daytime schedule from then, and I think I'd have that instead of our primetime one. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I don't know what the BBC would have put on in the afternoon. I don't. I have no idea. Programmes for it. schools, it was usually, it wasn't it? It was, no, it was only was from about of... four o'clock, though. I mean, what no, would no, they... No, 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 that was... That was children's television. I mean, actual schools programming. Oh, was... I see. Wouldn't that be a B- BBC Two thing? 
Well, it was after a while, but I think up until about 1984, right. I'm fairly sure that the schedule basically started with schools programming. And then I know Play School was on at 11-ish on BBC Two. Yeah. And then I think schools programming came back on. Um, so they weren't really putting anything up at all. Right. I know you'd have the one... Was it the one o'clock news then? <sighs> well, you did have the one o'clock news, but I, I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe started in the mid-80s with the daytime schedule. Because in my memory, it's like Pebble Mill. Well, no, Pebble Mill was at one. So it wasn't, yes. was it? It's Pebble Mill no, at no, one. No, no, so they can't have been. Yeah, so, so the news must have been like... 12.30 or something like that on noon, Something maybe. like that. Just Richard Baker just doing yeah. a summary. Something like yeah. that. But I don't think you get a sort of a formalised programme with Philip Hayton or someone. Right. With the lovely opening titles of the swirling clock uh, which was white. I don't think you get that until we're into the 80s. Probably when Breakfast Time was launched. So was that 83? Yeah. I think it was around yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the afternoon schedule would have been on BBC because literally now I'm racking my brains. We never watched it. It yeah. was never on in the day. You know what I mean? But I, I mean, you don't it, you don't get anything much until kids programming starts, and then it yeah. seems to go play school, um, something for younger kids, cartoon, uh, Blue Peter with a Jack and Ori in there somewhere, yeah. another cartoon, and then the news at five yeah. fifty or something. So you don't, and then Nationwide at six after the news, which is a bit strange. What so was you Nationwide don't see... at six? Was it? See, my memory is something uh, the the slot that became Neighbours at five thirty. There was always something at twenty five minutes there. I remember something with Debbie Greenwood and Billy Butler called Fax F A X. I remember that because that was the program. On which John Noakes was interviewed just after Shepherd died. Oh, was it really on that? Uh, and, right. Yeah, and, and he broke down in tears. Yeah. And everyone thought, oh, because because of course the story there is that when he left, he was told he could have Shep, and then he was told he couldn't. Yeah. So he had to leave without Shep, and he broke down in tears there. And Biddy Baxter tells it slightly differently. Of course, she says, "No, you were perfectly welcome to the dog. We just said you can't use him in any adverts for ITV." That's, That's it. right. No, don't want the dog then. Yeah. No, John. Yeah, charlatan. Uh, yes. But then yeah. you five fifty five after that uh, twenty five minute bit, <sighs> you always had a little cat in. That's where Willow the Wisp lived, or Ivor the Engine, Magic or... Roundabout. Yeah. Do you remember a the Perishers? Oh yes, I do. Leonard Perishers. Rossiter. Leonard Rossiter. Perishing kids. Oh, wonderful stuff. I'm, and yeah. I always now was it the Daily Express they featured in? Because I think at the beginning. It's got the Daily Express logo right at the Maybe. start of the opening. It was certainly opening one of the titles. nationals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I remember it for that. Um, oh, a lot of wonderful. those things transferred, though, didn't they? I mean, you know, wasn't the what was the one about a bloody a woman? Was it one called Blondie or Barbie or something that was the Daily Mirror one? There was some... There was like, Jane. Jane, that's what I'm Jane. all about. Yeah, yeah. That tr- they tried to transfer that. They tried to do Andy Cap, if you remember, with James Boland. James Boland, I remember that. Well, I remember Jane because they did two series of that, right? Um, in the early eighties, uh, and it was all CSO, um, yeah. but starring Glynis Barber. Uh, ah, as right. Well, then we definitely approve. We approve of that. Yes. Um, so I remember that being on certainly, and I also remember. Who TV still hasn't cap. aged, by the way. Not Just at all. Put that one in there. It's, it's astonishing. It's, it's bizarre, She's isn't it? She's definitely got a painted in the loft. She has. And Fred Bassett. I oh, Fred Bassett was brill. That was Daily Mail. I yeah. Think, I think he was a Daily Mail cartoonist. Who was Fred Bassett then? 
Oh, thank you, Fred Bassett. Was I want to say Arthur Lowe, but that'd be wrong. I'm going to have my Google here. Go on then. You have your Google because it was someone Google. like someone, someone from a sitcom, wasn't it? Mm. Hang on. Let's... We we are back on the Alzheimer's Express, boys Tell and girls me, at home. This sort of thing is important, though. It so. is important. Fred Bassett Fred was very Bassett important. Cartoon voice. Let's have a look. <coughs> the amazing name, it never existed, and we're thinking of the parishes. Uh, here we are. Lionel Jeffries. Ah, wonderful. Oh. Now, Lionel Jeffries is oh. absolutely the, one of the greatest nice things ever. Oh, he's magnificent. He's I lovely love thing, him in those Peter Sellers films. He's in one called The Wrong Arm of the Law. Oh, yes. Where he's yes. the prison warder. Uh, Peter Sellers plays the criminal, doesn't he? Pearly Gates. Mm. That's what his name is, Pearly Gates. I'm trying to remember the name of... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, how creepy. Mr. Crawley. That's uh, oh. Lionel Jeffrey's character. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, of course, wonderful. Bernard Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins spent most of 1965 in cells. <laughs> is, is it Daleks Invasion Earth 65? Or is it 64? Dalek Hang on. No, that's late 65 into 66. 65. Yeah. So 65, 66, the, the films that Bernard Cribbins is in cells, The right. Wrong Arm of the Law, yeah. um, Carry On Jack, yeah. Dalek Invasion Earth 2150 AD, and yeah. um, another one with cells, another criminal one. Crazy, spent spent all that time in a cell. He did, he absolutely did. You know what I love about Lionel Jeffries? Is apparently towards the end of his life, he became a terrific swearer. Um and we know this from uh, a series he was in on children's ITV called Woof, about a boy who could turn into a dog. Right. Um, and apparently he just took to, you've got to put the um, the explicit thing on this week's, um, he took to just you dropping the word cunt in whenever he could when he was on location. But he was working alongside this kid, a 10-year-old boy. And they go, OK, are we ready? And Jeffries would mutter, well, we cunting are if you are, while stood <laughs> next to a child just randomly swearing away. Uh, I think that was one of the last jobs he did, but just just he swearing. So I think good. Stephen Fry relayed that because he was working, um, I think he was on the first series and overheard it. But apparently just swore constantly, oh, but he's perfectly. He's brilliant. I love him. There's, there's an episode of Minder that he's in towards, I suppose, the end of his career as well. It's late 80s. Um, and I think Keith Barron's in it as well. Um, and he's sort of like this old pensioner who's got like um, a Walkman on all the time. And he's on a motorbike. Well, he's not on the motorbike. It's a sort of stuntman. So he's he's sort of like this um, senior delinquent. Um, but... Do you remember he nearly died in that series, Tom, Dick and Harriet, in the 80s where the car sinks in the lake? I remember it being on the news. There was a scene they did where the car, you know, it was all set up, but yeah. something went wrong and they nearly drowned in the bloody car in the lake. Good God. Yeah. It was a great interview with him. With It's not Parkinson. It's, it's uh, it might be Simon D or someone from the late 60s. And he says that he found out after he finished. I think he's in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, he's the said, in that. Yeah, he said he found out afterwards that, you know, the doctor examined him for some reason. He went to the doctor. It's like, oh, right, uh, did you know you've had pneumonia for three months or something like that? But he's such a great pro, isn't he? I mean, we're not making these actors anymore. Oh, God, no. I mean, Lionel Jeffries, I also love because I had... Remember when you used to get audiobooks and they were double double cassettes? Yeah. Two cassettes uh, that you could get. And I had two that I loved, and one was Kenneth Williams doing The Wind in the Willows, just a, a oh, reading yeah. of The Wind in the Willows. 
But the voices, of course, you know what you would have been getting. Lovely. Must find. But the other was The House at Pooh Corner. And that was uh, Lionel Jeffries. And the voices he creates for these characters are just, in some cases, insane. Um, he he makes Winnie the Pooh talk. I mean, it sounds like Jeffries has dislocated his jaw. And he's chewing all the time. So the noise that Winnie the Pooh makes is like, it's disgusting. But... It's the strangest character voice I've ever heard. It's just not what you'd expect. It's not nice to listen to, but right. you can't help listening to it. But wonderful for that. I used love, to love listening to those audio Love Lionel Jeff. He's got a very strangely yes. shaped head. Very, very egg. Strange. Very, very yeah. eggy shaped head. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, those. I mean, that 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 list of people just immediately Bernard Cribbins, Peter Sellers, Lionel Jeffries. You know. Oh God. They're just, they're just. Well, you're uh, right. We we don't we don't make these anymore. No. No, they, in fact, they, these people made themselves, didn't they? But I'm trying to think why we don't, if there's a specific reason, I mean. Well, I think it's that Jefferson quote, isn't it, about bad times create good men and who create good times, which create weak men and all that other stuff. I think that these people um, had faced, you know, even if you just count World War Two, where, mm. you know, you might be dead by the weekend because a bomb could drop on your house. Yeah, you know, I think that it creates a different mentality. There's a great book by Jeff Nuttall. Uh, he of the uh, People Show. Uh, mm. For anyone who's trying to place Jeff Nuttall, he only wrote two books. One was a biography of Frank Randall, get off me foot, um, and the other was Bomb Culture, which is uh, 1969. Um, and he's talking about um, he he details all the important people, you know, like Stanchel and Ginsburg and John Lennon, all these people who are important to the development of culture. But he also sort of posits the theory that the reason that culture has become so immediate and so vital is because of the threat of nuclear annihilation. Okay. Well, because... I mean, I can... I can, we, I can yeah, I can because, go with that. Because if, if you're sort of... You know, when we grew up in the 80s, there was certainly when when I my memory of like things like threads and the day after and this that and the other yeah. there was a lot of paranoia about you know it was the height of the cold war his argument is that the cold war was actually beneficial for the development of culture because it made people um, want to create more before their inevitable annihilation I wonder if there I, you see what I was going to say to that was but my point would be everybody looks the bloody same now on television. But yeah, I wonder yeah. if bit before that with the Cold War idea. I mean, part of the Cold War was, of course, the sheer paranoia mm. that you constantly felt about reds under the bed or whatever, and anybody could be your enemy at those yeah. times. So it's I wonder if that. if that's possibly why we got more. How can I put it? Normal looking people. On telly, you don't get normal-looking people anymore, do you? I mean, actors back in the 70s, say if I'm watching The Sandbaggers, yeah. any one of that cast, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd have served me in a carpet work. Yes. They they looked like blokes. Yes. Whereas now, I think what we've done is we're looking for, we're looking for a, beauty a beauty to put on mm. screen. And that's at the expense of many, 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 many good actors who look like people. Yeah. And so what you're getting is a, a, a blandness of performance developing because of that. There's a certain performance style almost again, that everybody has is, to give. 
this is part of the orthodoxy, isn't it? You know, you must look a certain way. You mm. must think a certain way. You must hold certain opinions. So, you know, everything is very anodyne and beige, really, because if, if everybody's the same, then you get no kind of nothing interesting. You get no special people. You know, it's like, you know, to borrow that glib expression from something you really won't approve of called The Incredibles, which is one of those Pixar movies. You know, if everybody's special, then nobody's special. So you kind of, you know, you're in this world now where things have become very orthodox. There is a definite set of views you must subscribe to. There's a way you must look. I mean, you know, when you're walking around, like if you if you know any younger people who are sort of in the 20s or whatever, you'll, you know, if you're me and you're an old fart, like you're walking around thinking, oh, is that that? Oh, no, it's not. It's just someone else who's got lip fillers and who wears false eyelashes. and who, you, you get what I mean? So even if people don't sort of necessarily look the same, they they can become very sort of similar by, by having fillers put in and by putting stuff. You know, my mates, it's not just girls as well. You know, one of my mates, his lad, he goes and has all the bloody, you know, waxes done and all these other things and has his eyebrows shaped and all this stuff. So, you know, if you're creating, you're creating people who look all look very similar. You know, yeah. whereas I can't. I can't, you know, when I was, what, 18, 19, 20s, not a single chance, mate. No, not You know at what all. I mean? You were lucky if I had a wash. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. You really oh, were. Could. Yeah. No, it's it's just, it strikes me as a shame, and it makes me wonder, what, what are we missing out on? What What could we be seeing that we're not seeing because of this strange new orthodoxy? That we, yeah. we absolutely do have now. Well, there's no meritocracy now. There's no sort no. of like people rising to the top because of talent or because of aptitude. You don't seem to get that now. You seem to get it's a corporate structure that's been bridled to everything, isn't it? You know, yeah. if you say the right things and you, you, you know, hold the right opinions, all these other things, then you will invariably rise to the top. But you're going to end up without a new Miss Marple in a few years because you won't oh, have anybody gotcha. who is quirky and individualistic. And they go, well, they oh, let's get Sir Jones, Jones to do it. Well, they got Julia McKenzie to do it last time, didn't they? Uh, they did. No, not for me. You know well, I, I mean? always think comic actress straight away. And maybe yeah. I shouldn't. And yeah. very, 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 very good. Was but, she? But not as Marple, no. You tell but, me I mean, blankety blanks back. This, this, right. this, this is like, because I don't watch the telly unless you count that Margaret Rutherford thing that I put on net, uh, Prime, whatever it was. Right, okay, you've told me, you you broke this devastating news via Somebody a WhatsApp message that Blankety Blank is back, right. Blankety Blank is back, indeed. What's going on? Okay, well, let's... So what you've got is Blankety Blank as presented by... Um, Bradley Walsh. No. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> Brian Conley for the new generation. Yes, however he is there. Oh, I'll tell you what, let's let's throw forward, as it were, and have a look at who's on Blankety Blank this coming um this coming Saturday. I won't know any of them, I'm sure. Five to nine. Bradley Walsh hosts as no. Judy Murray. No idea. Is she, um, is she any relation to Colin Murray, perhaps? Uh, nearly. Um, Andy Murray, the tennis player. That's his mum. Right. Smashing. Okay. So, um, Ricky Haywood-Williams? No idea. Okay. Um, ah, 
Shappy Core Sandy. No. <laughs> Don't know any of these people. She does a lot of Radio 4. Um, Rob Beckett. No, I'll bet he does. I don't know who he is. Uh, big teeth, I think. Um, Ellie Taylor? No. 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 And Peter Andre. Oh, I know who that fucker is. Yeah, boring. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute shit. So, uh, let's deal with the problems. First of all, I've just read you the lineup. There's your main issue. Um, secondly, and this is nitpicking, right, I'll, I'll admit, but if you think about when you would see the panel on blankety blank, three on the top and three below, right? Right. It would go, top left, Windsor Davis. Exactly, yeah, now we're, top, now we're talking. Right, top middle, Noel Gordon. Top right, you'd have a Larry Grayson or something like that, but it would go chap, lady, chap. On yeah. the on the ground floor, yeah. it would go the other way. So you'd go with sort of sane lady, so you'd the Isla Sinclair or Carol Drinkwater, yes. right? Yes. Then you'd go with your Freddie Starr in the middle, yeah, and yeah, then you I'll go, go San- and then Sandra Dickinson. Yes, she was always so on there the to bottom, be annoying and squeaky. On the bottom, it goes girl, boy, girl. It's a simple setup. On this, it's just whatever. They're not sitting them like that. Oh no! No, oh, that's no, no, no. Me. No, you need right. Kenny Everett as well. You know, sometimes, um, especially Problem, to bend yeah. Wogan's mic. Um, <laughs> he was always good for that. Um, and um. Who else was always good on there? Oh man, I'm trying to remember who the best ones were on that. I mean, the premise well, of the Maddock show was good. I Ruth Maddock was good. I always yeah. enjoyed a Ruth Maddock appearance. Did they ever do a Heidi High special for Blankety Blank? I do have a feeling that they might have done. That would have if been they great. Or Sue Pollard would have upstaged everyone, but you'd have had oh. Yes, I just don't. I don't really nice. particularly remember it very, very well. All I know is that it weren't that shit. With no, who was it again? Bradley Walsh, did you say? Bradley Walsh hosting no. it. So what you've got is you've got a really girish set. Um, so it's not only girish. It's all oh, right. So immediately that's gone. I've yeah. just got the original set in my head. The original set, which is sort of beige, which is what yeah. you want for a lively program. No, Do they have so the you've... things that they flick over the triangles and whatnot? Um, no, they they light up. No. No, no. Um, they do have the revol. Ah, now they've got the revolving set. So you've got the right. two contestants, then it revolves to show the super match. Right. But for some reason, what I used to enjoy there was you'd get this one shot of that revolve happening, and it always yes. looked like oh, lovely. Now they cut. Now, of course, you've got the super match game, super match game, and they're cutting the shots. Do they still so have seeing- the tunes in? Oh, they've still got the tunes, but they've updated them. No. Yes, and no, no, so no, 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 no. when the revolve happens, they're cutting to different shots of it, and you can't just gaze at the revolve. And no, all of it, all of it is wrong. Now the that worst sounds thing about awful. It, oh, it gets awful. worse. The worst thing about blankety blank, of course, is that whenever Terry or someone read out the question, the answer could always have been penis. Filthy, it? yes. Filthy, absolutely filthy. So it was, oh, Mrs. Wogan put a mousetrap in the bed the other night to get hold of the little blighters, but unfortunately I caught my blank in there. Penis, Terry. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Brilliant. Straight away, it works. However, what they've done now is they just... Int- it's crap. So uh, there was a question last night where it was something like leaks. No, it wasn't. It was Welsh. Um... I was packing to go on holiday f- to Wales, and I forgot to pack my blank. No. So people are just. Most of the people wrote down leak. So it's like, is that 
What you oh, mean? Do you, do you mean no. something? There's nothing, nothing dirty, nothing like that, you know? And, and, no, uh, no, no. They've ruined it. They've ruined, they've ruined it. it. They'll it be ruining Lenny Bennett's punchlines next. Won't they? They'll they'll be destroying our national heritage in that regard. Blankety blank. (sighs) To be honest with you, my favourite bit of it was the Les Dawson stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they were the best years. I didn't know they brought it back. Dismayed to hear it. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, leave it alone. No shite. Utter shite. Yeah. No. Utter shite. It just it doesn't it doesn't work. And are all those people famous that you just listed? Because I I do realise that I don't know who anyone is because I'm totally... I can't stand the media. Judy Murray is someone's mum. Right, I don't know who Ricky Haywood Williams is. Country and Western singer. Sounds like that, yeah, 50s. Yeah. Um, Shappy Call Sandy, I know because of Radio 4. She does the news quiz and stuff. You're very cultured, though. You like your news quiz Well, I like my Radio 4. You like your archers, yes. Oh, yes, I do. Um, So, potentially... All right, so let's let's just wind back and talk about this person. So, so is this somebody who is actually all right compared to the rest of them? She's all right. So, why is she stuck up just for money? It'll be the money. Right. Right. Uh, I know she's a parent. She does comedy about that because she's a lady. Um, so, yeah, there'll be money involved, I would think, though. So that's why she'll be doing it. All right, so potentially you've got one person on there. One person. Who isn't a vacuous celeb. Yeah. Well, you've got this Rob Beckett. Now, he does things no like idea. that. He does things on Channel 4. Uh, well, there you go, then. Right, I wouldn't okay. have seen anything. Uh, Ellie Taylor. I don't know. No. No idea. No. Another country and western singer. Yeah, and then Peter Andre. Oh, no, he's a prick. Isn't he? Isn't <laughs> well, he? Yes. yes. You know, totally. I mean, God almighty, didn't he do well? I oh, mean, yeah. You know, for being a oh, no-talent dude. Um, for some reason, I always think of Glenn Medeiros when I think of Peter Andre. Uh, didn't Glenn Medeiros, he was on the revived Jukebox Jewelry. Yes, and this and is the lovely abs- memory. Oh, and they slagged his record off Vic terribly, not knowing that he was there. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah. And not knowing he was there as a guest star. I've never seen a man more deflated. Oh, oh. yeah. Have you seen him now? I haven't, no. He's like this enormous bloke with a big hairy chest and a bald head. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not buffed up like Peter Andre. Oh, I see, right. No, I didn't know that, but... Uh... Oh, God, Glenn Medeiros. But, uh, no, Glenn that's your blankety-blank line No, they can shove that up their arse, Paul. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to uh, renew my licence for that shit. <laughs> well, do you, you know do what I mean? get... You get Strictly Cam Dancing before it and... Rubbish. And, and Guess the Tune or something, which is on beforehand. Guess the Tune? It's called something like that. Basically, they play you the opening notes of a song and you've got to buzz in and say what it is. That's no. the game show. It's 35 minutes a week. I, I came up with an idea for a game show years ago that they should have made, right, called Family Fart Tunes. And so what they had is they had all the members of the family who had to sort of, like, you know, fart the tune off Emmerdale Farm or Coronation Street or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? Family Fart Tunes. What's wrong with that? Let's see if it's up there. I, I, I like that. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think Family Fart Tunes would be a fantastic series. Max Bygraves. Happy days. No oh, that's all fucking you need, problem. Isn't it? Yeah, you yeah, don't need Bradley right. Walsh that much. No. We won't uh, we won't go into detail about my other idea called Taste My Tea. But uh, <laughs> needless to say, Family Fortunes is a winner. 
It's a winner. Well, if anybody wishes to develop that, you know, get in touch with us uh, via the Twitter feed <laughs> at Nice Things Show. But you could have Mr. Methane on it doing doing the sort of exemplar, couldn't you? He'd come on and Mr. Methane would do, right, you know. But it could be Christmas carols even. You know, you could be a Christmas special. Mr. Methane would come on and fart white Christmas and then it'd be like the generation game where all the families have got to eat plenty of pump productive tuck, like sprouts because it's seasonal and that's like, right, okay. And, and then, you know, oh, granddad's fallen through. And, you know, it'd be great fun for all the family if you ask me. I'd watch that. Now we're that is far about- better. This is a Christmas to rival 1985, if we get that on. Perfection. Absolutely perfection. Absolutely wonderful. Bradley Walsh can go fuck himself, because he's getting within nowhere near. He's not getting with 100 miles of family fart tunes. (laughs) Who would you have presenting? Oh, who would I have presenting family fart tunes? I I think Vic and Bob would do a a bloody good job on that one. I think they'd be good at that. I I thought Tom O'Connor straight away. Tom would be great. You know, sadly dead. Sadly dead, yeah. Sadly dead. So we couldn't have Tom. It would be good to put one of them old uh, sort of... You know, those old club comics in it, because they would be so out of their depth with with lots of farting going on, wouldn't they? You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, it's like watching Mike Reed on Runaround. Just yeah. Very angry man that there are children near him. Be like Mike that. Reed would be a good shout. If we're He'd talking be... fantasy land. We are. We are talking fantasy land. Mike Reed, family fart tunes, Christmas Day, after Top of the Pops. Yay! Here we go! <laughs> you know what I mean? It's <laughs> me, Fane. <laughs> <laughs> so so there you go paul i've just single-handedly saved the saturday night i think you have I family think, fart I think tunes yeah it's a wonderful Absolutely. idea it's it would be blankety blank as it currently is so yeah. Yeah. i'm up for that I, I we should think about more i think about this whole fantasy tv realm that we could have i think yeah but, uh, i think someday so. you never know mark gatiss runs half of television now does he like, yeah, yeah, they might right. make a mistake and give it to us at some point. I shall send him family fortunes and taste my tea immediately. Is, is taste my tea one where we would have to put the red triangle up by any chance? <laughs> I should think that the red triangle would be uh, appropriate. Yes, oh, yes, yes. yes, yes, I'll, I'll, yes, stick yes. To, I'll stick to commissioning series three of the tripods, I think, for my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. Nearly as good as Gaz Top's Let's We Are Pants, but then we won't. We won't, uh, we won't. <laughs> Have you all had enough coke, kids? Yay! Um, so, <laughs> are your belts really tight? Um, so, um, <laughs> Gary Gaz Top, what was he called? Gary Gaz Top Summit or other? <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Me collarbone. Um, so, um, yeah, there you go, from the sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous. Oh, Gary Gaztop something or other he was called. I can't remember mm. his bloody name now. Um, so, yeah, there you go. So, so there are three winners. Absolute winners. You know, coupled them with Roy Castle's dog fucker. And, <laughs> and, and you've got a Christmas made in heaven, Paul. That's all you need. That's the Christmas special of Tenko. Oh Let's man, I remember s- that. Sorted. There you go. There's your Come on then, talk us through that. That's got someone called Roz in it as well, hasn't it, Tenko? It, it has. Tenko's magnificent, isn't it? Tenko's just one of those. I just perfect, remember it. I perfect remember, pieces of telly. I remember uh, Louise Jameson's sort of uh, sw- sweating bosom because oh, yeah. of the of the Burmese jungle. 
That's right. And of course, the Burmese jungle was all filmed in Dorset. That's the most amazing thing. That that prison camp, which still looks magnificent on screen, just Dorset. Right. But oh my God, it's it's excellent television. That it's hard television, but beautifully done. Absolutely beautifully done, and all on BritBox right now. So what's the Christmas special? Do they have a Christmas dinner? Do you know what? I'm not even sure if there is one. I think there is an episode set at Christmas, and basically right. it's hardship and grind, but there is some sort of, like, singing a carol at the end, and it gives them all right. proper, in other words. Yes. Or it's not as proper as Noel Gordon in 1977, breaking through the fourth wall on, on an episode of Crossroads and singing directly down the lens, we need a little Christmas. Where suddenly she's got Johnny Pearson and his five-piece orchestra just out of shot in her living room. But, uh, oh, wonderful. And then the high camera shot and they all raise their glasses to the uh, to the audience watching. Apart from Ronnie Allen, who downs his instead. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Proper Christmas things. We're Break getting very seasonal, down. aren't we? We are, but it's nearly there. I mean, We're we are. We are. There. We are two, two, three weeks away from starting the Box of Delights. That's crazy rewatch. talk. That's crazy. So, isn't there an old? Isn't there a film from the fifties or sixties that's kind of tenko? It's not a town called Alice, is it? Or is it? Is no, a town called Alice about women in a, a Japanese prisoner of war camp? I don't actually know. Because there's a film that. predates uh, tenko from mm. the fifties or sixties, and the older woman, she's in that as well. Mm. Whoever she is, she might be Roz. Now, old actress in that. There's Jean Anderson, who was no, in everything. Not her. Not her. I love no. Jean Anderson. Wasn't Pertwee She's... married to her? Jean Anderson, I don't think so. No, that that was um, Jean Marsh. Jean Marsh, right. Okay. married to Jean Marsh. No, so Jean, Jean Anderson I'm mixed up with. So who's Jean Anderson? Well, Jean Anderson was the matriarch in The Brothers. Um, oh, I don't so know that. Mrs. Hammond. Oh, no, that's, oh, that's good stuff. That's right. Pump that into my veins. Right, um, that's quality. But she's she's basically she plays matriarchs, but upper class old money matriarchs in everything. And she was in stuff right into the nineties, even though she looks hundred and fifty in the brothers in nineteen seventy two. And oh god, she's I bet that's stoic. her in I bet that's who I'm on about then if she's super old looking. Now it could be her then and she is in Tenko, uh, playing the similar sort of lady, you know, spirit of the blitz, but very, right. very old. And then she was in uh, something that was made for BSB in 1990, which a, a kid's drama they made. And so she was still going, still right. playing these old troopers, but fearsome old ladies. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a oh, all about. Love Jean Anderson. Wonderful. Yeah, I remember, I remember uh, Louise Jameson, um, and that's about it, really. I don't remember. Stephanie Beecham. Oh, yeah, that's that. right. She was in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Another... Stephanie Beecham in there. Yes. And Burke Kwok. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, he's in it, yeah. He was the commandant, yeah, who would, he, yeah. the commandant of the camp. And, uh, yeah, and they had a character in there who was called Sato, um, which I can't remember if I'd have noticed that or found it funny or anything, but uh, it turned out that then they, they altered his name to Satan because that's what he was like, <laughs> this horrific character. And it's, it's an aggressive series. At one point, I think, uh, Louise Jameson and... Stephanie Beecham try to they they escape the camp because they hear that there's a men's camp just across the other side of this bit of jungle, so they start meeting out and they get boyfriends and it's it's very sort of like well it's very honest in a lot of ways that it's basically two two youngish women saying well we need sex so we're going to go and get it but then they get caught and they are beaten I mean proper beaten it's a horrific 
punishment that's meted Jesus. out. Jesus. But God, it's good. And it's a series that doesn't pull punches. And it's a series, one of those rare things that where you've got the ladies taking the forefront, which is still a, a rare thing. Now, that's, that's something I meant to tell you about. Hmm. Um, because I noticed Louise Jameson this week and she was having a chat with someone on Twitter about something that we were talking about where, from what I can gather, she has come up with a sitcom and scripts are written, but it's about two people in their 70s, her being one, right? Um, with somebody else, and it's a proper sitcom to be filmed in front of a live audience, you know, a good, decent, proper yeah. sitcom. Can't find any interest in it at all. No. Nobody will look at it. No. Nope. Um, whether it's because it's the sitcom, whether it's because it's the, the elderly nature of the leads, God yep. knows, but nobody will look at it. It strikes me as just really rather sad. Again, it's this TV by committee thing. They, they will mm. tell you what you like as mm. opposed to the audience dictating it. It's a strange thing. There's been, a, I read something the other day which was kind of very odd. And I can't even recall what it is. And it was just like, this is really bizarre that you wouldn't give the audience what you want in this regard. It's been a, an odd week, hasn't it, for the old industry? What with um, Alec Baldwin shooting the... the Was it Director of director Photography? Director of Photography, yeah. Um, so it's one of those things, isn't it, where there's very little data, all these conspiracy theories are filling the void as, as, as they do. Yeah, you know, instantly filling the void if you um, dare to look on on the old Twitter, which is. People I feel can... sorry for the guy, really, because yeah. he's just an actor, and 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 I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I would presume well, if it were me, I don't know anything about this. You'll know more about this than me, so I would presume somebody that you trust, mm. right, who handles guns and all that, right? Here you yeah. go now, point that and click, and that's it. I would have thought that's where the actor's responsibility began and ended. Well, I would say it was, and whenever I've had to shoot weapons, that's what I've been told. I've been shown it, I've been told it's, you know, what it was, I've no idea what they're saying, and then yeah. they say, simply point it, but at that point, bang, yeah. have a few practice shots, off you go. I reckon, I know I'm no Miss Marple, dear, but um, <laughs> I would say, I mean, you've got two people there, you've got the director of photography... And the director who was injured, right? Yeah, I can imagine that what you're going to have in this film, Rust, I think it's called. Yeah. Just thinking about what sort of film it is, you know, it sounds like an old Western style thing. I'll bet you at some point he points the gun straight at the lens of the camera. That's bang, right. Bang, bang, bang. That was the shot. That was the there shot. You go. So that's that where your shot. director of photography would be, and that's where your director would possibly be as well if it's a complicated shot. That's why it's happened. But it but sounds story, like just a horrendous accident. The story is that they were using the gun for target practice when they weren't filming. Okay. So if they were, that means live rounds. But again, I mean, I don't know where these kinds of stories are coming from. I mean, you know... Um, mm. It's one of those things, isn't it? You know, I, I'm sure that uh, the name Baldwin won't help him. I mean, ooh, Mike Baldwin, he was a wrong gun, you know. He was. He, he was. was. So if the anyone he treated Ken Barlow. Exactly. No. If anyone uh, raises Mike Baldwin's conduct, he's uh, he's, he's off to Devil's Island, isn't he? He is, yes. You know. Yeah, but it has. It's been, you're right, it's been a weird industry week. But yeah. I don't know, the, the winds of change are in the air, aren't they, again? They are. Or as, uh, as Mr. Leahy says in Trailer Park Boys, the winds of shit are blowing. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> no, I shot, no. You watch no. Blankety Blank, the new one. Oh, I watched ten minutes of it, and then there was wow. someone... Yes, ten minutes, and that's about all I could manage. That is strong, isn't it, mate? Oh, that's... it was awful. Oh, and, oh, and Mike... 
cash prizes on Blankety Blank. No. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, for the do super still match. Do checkbook and pen? They do the checkbook and pen, but it is signed by Bradley Walsh and has the, no, the new Blankety Blank logo. I, I think that, you know, dear old Captain Tom, with his wonderful walk around the garden and singing You'll Never Walk Alone... I think if his family want to do anything, they need to somehow find the blankety-blank checkbook and pen he got in 1982 when he was on it. Oh, That's what yeah. I want to see. I forgot about that. I forgot I'd about want to that. see that. I want that. What I'm saying is I'd like it. So Yeah, it's probably already in a museum or something like that, isn't it? You yes. know, a very interesting yeah. bloke. He was that Captain Tom, though, wasn't he? Sort of, didn't he ride a motorbike? A, a motorbike with a message across Europe in the war or something like that. Something like that. I mean, a hell of a life. Yeah. He only, had life, his kid, he only got married and had kids when he was in his 50s, didn't he? Yeah, because when he's on this blankety-blank, he's getting on a bit. This is 82. So he must have been, what, 60s then? And 82's he, 40 years ago, dear. No, uh, there you go. He would have been, so in, been in his 60s. Forties. And he's oh, was he 100 to... was he when he croaked? Oh, yeah, he was. He just made it to the 100, I oh, think. Oh, right, so been... yeah, he would have been in his 60s, you're quite right. Yeah. I thought he was in his but, 80s, sorry. But he's referring to his kids, and he looks like everybody's granddad, to be honest, yeah. at this point. But he's referring to his children, yeah. and they clearly still live at home, so it's a bit... Mm, no, he was a captain of industry, wasn't he, after the war? He did, like, a proper, you know, like, chief executive and ran all these bloody factories and sh- stuff like that. Amazing, mate. Yeah. Um, We've we've travelled a long way from Roy Castle's dog fucker, thankfully. Oh, um, yeah. You know, um, and uh, we've arrived at Mister uh, Captain Tom. Yes, um, who That's who been reminds a ramble, us, hasn't it? Reminds us of a more wholesome age yes. of blankety blank. Yes, that's yes. that's what I remember him for. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten that detail. You're quite right. You're quite yes. right. So is there anything worth watching on the television then, Paul, this week? <coughs> um, well, I can lend you the box set of Upstairs, Downstairs. Um, I'll send you Precious ter- Bane, yeah, the well, Big Street I mean, Boys. Do you mean in terms of what's coming up? Yeah. Is there anything worth watching? Well, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just give you the the lineup for next Saturday night, which I'm sure will be full of Larry Grayson and Tom Baker and Doctor Great. Who. Okay, I'm in. Okay, here we go. Um, pointless celebrities. No, no. Yes, Starring, they are, but no. Yeah, Nina Conti, Rosie Marcel, Shazia Merson, John Pinar. No, I know uh, who John Pinar is. There you go. I know one person on your list. There you go. There's one, and then that's followed by here we go. Um, oh, it's actually called the Hit List. It's not called Name the Song, but it's the Hit List. <laughs> this is In how which, we got here. 45 minutes of people listening to the opening moments of a song and saying, is it Queen? Uh, yes, well is done. The, is flatulence involved? Uh, sadly, no. No <laughs> flatulence. No, it's presented by an awful husband and wife couple, neither of whom can read autocue. Um, Who are they? £10,000 they're playing for. I don't know. Dreadful people. Uh, oh. Strictly come dancing? No. Okay. Shove it up your arse. Uh, blankety <laughs> blank. We've discussed no. this. Uh <laughs> Casualty cut down to 40 minutes because of COVID, but now just a soap opera. You'd have thought it'd have been longer yeah, with no, COVID, they've wouldn't cut you? it down. And then uh, match of the day, and that's it, really. No, Naked no. Civil Servants on uh, oh. Talking Pictures TV. Always oh, yeah, that, that'd be No, mate, right. there's nothing on television. No, anymore. nothing. No. nothing. I that's don't pay a night. TV license, I pay an Archer's license. That's what I pay. 
Well, I'm happy to pay my archer's license. How much is your archer's license now? Uh, £160 or so. £160. Wow. For which I get, for which I get about 300 episodes of the archers. Oh, come on. What are they, 50p each? About 50p each. Yeah, I'm, can, I'm happy. You can swallow that cost. Oh, easily. I'm easily. sure the Mem Saab enjoys it and the children, don't they? No. <laughs> no, I don't mean the They're, archers. Because, I mean the, the no, BBC. No, I mean, in terms of TV, no, because with linear TV, unfortunately, there isn't no. anything, is there, at the moment? And, and that's the problem. You look at the old TV times from 1972 and you go, oh, that'd do for an yeah. evening. And now you look at it and you go, no. There's no. just not, there's just not what we what should be there. You know, we no. we need some studios back. We need some multi-camera work. We need men who look like they could work in carpet warehouses on television. And we that's do. It. And, and Mortimer Wheeler. I'd like Mortimer. Ah, Wheeler back, so please. Mortimer Wheeler. Yes. I like Mortimer Wheeler. Didn't actually know anything. It turned out in the end. No, made it all up. Good on. Made him. it all up. But was on telly all the time. An animal, vegetable, mineral. That's a magnificent programme. Splendid. He was on the Brains Trust as well. He was on that show as well. Got away with some shite. No internet then. No. No, 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 I'm right. Up your bum. Yes, it is, Mortimer. Are you sure? No, no, made it up. Wonderful. That's what I want. I want charlatans on television. I want people who look like Patrick Moore. Yeah. I want another series of Civilization, but not presented by three people. I want Kenneth Clark being angry ah, that he's yeah, on yeah, television. Yeah. Or Jacob Bronowski with his Ascent of Man. Oh, now there's a series I've got the box set off and I've only ever got into episode one. I know. Isn't episode one a, Music of the Spheres? Yes, it is. But mm. it just it goes sleepy night time to me. And I just go, yeah. that's nice. And I'm not off listening to him. Mon- well, wonderful. I must watch it. Music of the Spheres... Mm. Brings us neatly back to the Seven Rays, which is where we came in with Gnosticism and Mithraism. So there you go. There's something for everyone in this week's. There's families farting music together. Um, there's, 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 ooh. well, there's all sorts, dear. There's Um, all that. Rock Margaret Rutherford. Ooh, you've frozen. Oh, sorry, I was just saying uh, Margaret Rutherford as well. Margaret Rutherford. She would be a a champion flatulent. <laughs> Wouldn't she? Can you can you tell the painkillers are working, kiddies? I've, I've never considered Margaret Margaret Rutherford breaking wind. Oh, but I will, but I will now. Commodious oh. buttocks. Can that you would imagine? be like the brass section of an orchestra. It would. It really would. It oh. would. It'd be amazing. Anyway, <laughs> with oh, the image of Margaret Rutherford farting um, <laughs> fresh in our minds. We'd just like to say thank you for listening. And Paul would like to tell you to follow us on Twitter. Would you not, Paul? Oh, I always want to tell you to follow us on Twitter at Nice Things Show and give us a review on, you know, whatever you're listening on. Give us a review. Five stars. Five stars, always best. Uh, A little review there. and, uh, And then we'll be back. In a week's time, probably slightly earlier than we have done. Because oh we yes, tired. I hope so. And and and, and yeah. Mr. Carmichael is at P Carmichael Vo on on. I am uh, on, Twitter, on Twitter. 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 Yeah, uh, so follow so. him as well. And yes. yes, hopefully earlier. We right. I I don't know, Paul. We we're see. getting very lazy. We're hibernating, dear. We are a bit, aren't we? We'll have to do some few recordings and get some in the yes, can for those days when can. sleepiness takes over. Indeed. So until the sleepiness takes over your week, we'd just like to wish you a nice week and say bye-bye. Bye-bye.
presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production.